Hey there. Welcome to episode four of ATL in 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta, Georgia. My name is Kevin Chenard. On today's episode of ATL in 29, we speak with Kyle Weedai. Kyle is the founder of Truth About It, a great blog that is the Washington Wizards affiliate of ESPN's True Hoop Network. On today's episode, we'll talk about the Southeast Division and our projected finishes for the five teams. We'll also discuss the Wizards bench personnel and the substitution patterns that Coach Scott Brooks uses. And for some real fun, we'll dig deep into the career of former Wizard Nick Young, whose current team, the Los Angeles Lakers, plays in Phillips Arena tonight. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's get started. here with Kyle Weedai of Truth About It. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Thanks for having me, man. I just have to say before we get started that I've been a fan of your, your site for a long time. I lived in D.C. for a while, and when I was first reading about basketball on the internet, I remember that my three favorite sites were Truth About It, Ball, and wherever it was that Zach Lowe was writing about the Celtics. Yeah, Celtics Hub. Was it maybe? Celtics Hub? I don't know. They're one of the teams that had so many different blogs, so it, it's hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, sometimes I forget you and I especially go back in, in like a lot of years in the internet age. I don't, I don't know, like I think dog years is what every seven years for one human year. And you and I go back to at least 2010 in internet years. I don't know how how that all translates and in the metric system and what have you. It's crazy when you start talking about like how many years we've been blogging and doing things on Twitter and it it never seemed like it was going to get to a point where you're going to look back and say that you'd been doing it for some fixed amount of time. It always seemed like right. something that was now and not something that was going to accumulate quite like that. Yeah, and I, I remember I think the other day on Twitter people started uh, reminiscing over ball hype. And that that being one of the early sites where you submit articles and you vote them up, and it was very around sports. Uh, and yeah, so so much has obviously changed since, but it's it's been fun, man. And so we first connected when you were running a contest for Truth About It for tickets to a Wizards game. And I don't remember how exactly you ran the contest, if it was just a lottery or whatnot, but somehow I ended up with tickets to a I want to say January 2011 Kings-Wizards game. Yeah. Well, I, I of course, since Gmail is so great, I, I looked up your address on Gmail. And I have, <laughs> like, my first three emails from you are one. They're all from December of 2010. I think the game was for January. The first email is just Eccles. The second is Moses Malone. <laughs> And then the third is Blake Dixon and Elmore. Wow. And so, yeah, I think this, this is all Bullets Wizards related trivia I'd put out there. And, you know, I think it's sort of like first first to respond through email would get tickets. Uh, and this was going through Twitter. And I think you won the third one and ended up going to a pretty classic game. It really was Wizards a classic lore. game. I remember I took a friend with me and he was not as big a fan of the NBA as I was and I think it was snowing. <laughs> we get right. to the arena and it's, you know, 40% full. But there Or were... like a Tuesday or, or what have you. It's like a midweek game. <laughs> yeah, early week. It was like Monday or Tuesday. And it was it was quite a spectacle because when you, even when, you know, showing up with a half-empty arena, there were two very noticeable clusters of fans because it was the first season for Omri Caspi. And it was the first season for DeMarcus Cousins. So it was like game one of Wall Cousins. And so all the UK fans were out. Right. And, and all, you know, the Israeli fans and all, you know, people of Jewish heritage that wanted to see Caspi play, they were all over the arena too. And then that turned out to be a very minor part compared to what really happened that night. Is the game went out to overtime. And it ended up being Nick Young's career-high scoring game. Now, 
Can you do you remember the details of how exactly he got to? I think it was forty three points. Oh, uh, I, I well, I didn't exactly remember, but of course I went and looked up, you know, the the internet archives and and our respective blog posts from that game and. He hit seven of ten three pointers, and he scored forty three points. And he he in his attempt to get to forty, because that's his the, was his hallmark. That's what he's going for. You know, the things got crazy. I think the Wizards had a big lead, like very late. Uh, you know, they they blew a like an eight point lead in the past last sixty seconds or something, because Nick Young was trying to make sure he had the ball to shoot free throws to get past 40 points. And the Wizards ended up turning the ball over some. It went to overtime. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, this is so Wizards. Yeah, it really was. And the Wizards ended up winning, correct? Yes. 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 So it, they it ended all up ended game. happy. 136 to 133. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it really was. He really was just – you know, he was dribbling into the corner and getting trapped and almost turning it over. And then at one point he did turn it over and there was a missed free throw. And it was really <laughs> a catastrophic collapse in the quest for 40. Yeah. But uh, we've, sure got, we've got Nick Young coming to Atlanta, let's say tonight, because I'm going to put this up tomorrow morning. And uh, what do you think of the combination of Nick Young and Luke Walton? Uh, you know, I guess a lot of people expected him to be waived in the off season. And I was just like, you know, sure. Then, you know, that's, that's sort of his NBA career because no other team's going to sign him. He may, you know, join Andre Blatch in China or the Philippines or what have you. But to a, a lot of surprise, he, the Lakers kept him. And I think he, I guess he's starting now. Um, you know, I, I, I there are glimpses. There's a point in Nick Young's career where you really st- saw him developing and I think I almost credit, you know, the late Flip Saunders, may he rest in peace for a lot of Young's early development, you know, and trying to get him to learn how to come off screens and use that mid range shot, you know, and reading and going back and reading, uh, you know, what I wrote that night about his 43 points, like, yeah, it ended pretty messy, but like some of his, he had 13 points in the first games for seven minutes and they were all like sort of off plays that, again, you would think Richard Hamilton w- was running these plays. So Nick has some utility, like he's long, he can shoot three-pointers. He just, he's just been so goofy and out of it for all of his career. I think it's, it's being in L.A. and that combination of his personality has you know, magnified his status as an NBA cult figure, which you know, personally I don't get. You know, I don't know why sometimes we celebrate um, you know, the Nick Youngs and the JaVale McGees of the world who – uh, and Nick and JaVel are different personalities, but people who like players who just don't play the game in an intelligent type of way. And sometimes their stupidity is celebrated, but I get it. It's all, it's all entertainment. Um, I'm not sure how this all relates to Nick and Luke Walton, but I think Luke Walton as someone who, gosh, I mean, you know, they played against each other. I'm sure he, he sort of gets younger players and, and with his team in Los Angeles, I, I think he's he's trying to balance letting probably trying to balance letting the younger players be themselves and try to grow um, with with giving them some structure. So uh, it, it will be interesting. The Lakers have a lot of talent. You know, Walton sort of became the like a prodigy last year because of how things started with Golden State. So um, it will be interesting to see um, how the Lakers do throughout the year and how their fans sort of take this this redevelopment of the Lakers franchise. You mentioned Flip Saunders, and when I first started thinking about the combination of Luke Walton and Nick, I wanted to just kind of go back over, you know, the coaches that he's had in his career. And, you know, Flip Saunders sort of stood out as probably the best coach that he's had, and maybe not by a small margin either. Yeah, you you might be right. I mean, I know uh, you know no one's going to say that Eddie Jordan was better than Flip Saunders. Um, and I'm trying to think of. I mean, I, I know think he Nick had is, you know Dan Tony and you know of course Randy Whitman and Byron Scott. Yeah, and he's played for Doc Rivers, right? You know, I don't and he spent so. some time that one sort of tw- like cup of tea with the Clippers. Oh, maybe. Um, yeah, he and I actually just went to Basketball Reference because 
thanks. Thankfully, the internet's at our fingertips. But yeah, he played 22 <laughs> games for the Clippers in 2012. Okay, so yeah, so maybe that's that was a a little bit of a learning experience too. Is it Doug Collins? Ironically, a little bit ironically, in Philadelphia, since he's another ex Wizards coach. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems like you know you talked about him being celebrated, maybe for the wrong reasons, and maybe for a different reason than McGee. Is it because, you know, is it because of his overconfidence, just sort of this brash overconfidence that exceeds, you know, what he's put together in his career, and just sort of this, and not just an overconfidence, but like a happy overconfidence. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, and credit him for that. I mean, he's also from LA, and he had that documentary made about him in high school, like last chance season about how he had to like pass different tests just to, you know, get to play. And, and then he went to USC and all that. So I think just being in that market and being a guy who, you know, it's funny that NBA players sometimes get all this credit for being fashionable, but you know, give, give someone a budget, some stylus and some interesting patterns and suddenly anyone can be fashionable, but <laughs> Nick Young you know, he, he pushed the limits of, you know, what fashion, I don't, actually, I don't want to give him credit for pushing limits, but he sported things that are fashionable. Again, we're talking about someone in the LA market. So I think that sort of magnified his status uh, in the NBA. And, and I think people like characters and that's ultimately what he sort of is. He is a goofy guy. I mean, I, you know, he was sort of, fl- he was fun to blog about. He would wear like a, a, I remember one time with the Wizards, he would wear, he wore like a foxtail you know, as on his jeans as part of his post-game outfit. And we're just like, what, like, what is this guy? We, and we did this whole blog about it, how he's, you know, what is Nick Young wearing? It's a foxtail. And, you know, he, he said some goofy quote about it. So, um, you know, I've knocked him because of his basketball skills. But as, you know, as someone who just sort of is goofy and out there, you can't blame him too much, I guess, maybe. Okay. Very good. Well, let's uh, let's transition a little bit here. I know that I asked you to come on and, and and do the segment with me that I call 100 to 200, where I ask you for, you know, one of your NBA opinions and then sort of rate it on a temperature scale from sort of a, a lukewarm opinion to, to something maybe a little bit hotter. So I was right. going to first ask you for your opinion, and then, you know, I'll try to guess what sort of score you might have given yourself when you thought of that and then we'll compare and see what you came up with okay let's do it all right so go ahead take us away um okay well i i have five nba hot takes i came up with we don't have to get through all five but my first one is the boston celtics are not a lock to make the playoffs wow okay so let's see i that's let's say one I would say that's maybe like a 182. 182. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it's. I I think. I think they're definitely overrated. Maybe you know. I think they had a lot of things go right. I don't think that they made any bad moves in the off season. Obviously, I think getting Horford was a great deal. But I just, at the same time, I think I think things went well for them last year, and they didn't necessarily make something that can actually take them a tier up, as opposed to say keep them where they are. But what did you give your your opinion there? I, I would make it a little bit colder, maybe in the one fifty three range. We're we're on like a scale of one hundred, two hundred, right? Yeah. I, I would I would lo- say a little bit colder um, because I do have a lot of respect for Brad Stevens. Um, sure. He's a great coach, but you're, like you said, they've had some moving parts. You you lose Selinger, uh, Jared Selinger, and Evan Turner, which I'm not sure is actually the worst thing in the world. Obviously, getting Horford. Um, they have a lot of young players and sort of young and untested players. And again, Stevens is, I think, is a great coach, but they still lack uh, multiple star power. Like Isaiah Thomas is very good. Horford is, you know, he's, he's in his 30s. You've seen him play plenty of times. Um, I think he'd be a good complimentary player, but uh, maybe there's just a return to the mean with this crew. So while I am saying they're not a lock for the playoffs. Um, I do think they'll make the playoffs, but don't be surprised if they are, you know, anywhere from the six to eight seed or or if they don't have the home court advantage because everyone just assumes that they are directly competing with LeBron now. And it's, it's Cleveland one and then maybe Boston two, and then everyone else is sort of in the mix. 
not to disparage Toronto or whomever. Sure. No, I, I, that seems perfectly reasonable. All right, let's, let's go on to the next one. Number two is no one on the Warriors will finish in the top three of MVP voting. Okay. Let's, oh, I don't know. Let's call that a 160. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and sorry if I'm not clear on this. Is, is the hotter the temperature means the more confident I am about this, right? Oh, I, I, think the, just, I think the more unexpected and controversial it would be if you're getting towards the uh, 200 range. Yeah, because hot takes are not always hot. Um, <laughs> I will say I I think this is a legit thing because one they're all going to be judged at a higher standard because they're playing with each other and then you have LeBron, Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard and I don't want, I don't know if he's a dark horse candidate but Chris Paul like you're competing with those four guys I think for MVP and I just think you know the Warriors they're just going to be judged more critically um, in the end of it so. Uh, you know, I don't think it's maybe we'll say that's colder and it's not as controversial as one might think. Okay. Yeah. I would, I, I think that's reasonable, especially when you list the candidates. I mean, it's to say that Kawhi and, and Westbrook and LeBron would be in the top three of the MVP voting. That's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All so right. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Very cold take. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right. So How about next, one more? One more hot take. Um, that Mike Wise, formerly of the Washington Post, now of ESPN's Undefeated, is not that crazy in picking the Clippers to win a championship when everyone else, and I, I think this sort of screenshot was passed along you know, a couple of days ago when a lot of the ESPN experts made their picks, but everyone, you know, pretty much everyone had Golden State, I think, Four people had Cleveland. Mike Wise picked the Clippers. How hot of a take do you think that is? I that think, he's not that crazy for doing so. I, I've got to say, on the last episode of my podcast, I was I was talking um, with someone, and we were we were talking about our long shot picks for Finals MVP, and my two picks for for sort of a, a real dark horse with respect to the Finals MVP was one was Patty Mills. Because if the Spurs get to the finals, I just think that they're going to need his athleticism. I think that he's probably a tier above Tony Parker now. Okay. So, so I had Patty Mills as sort of one long shot finals MVP. And then for the other, just Blake Griffin. Because I, I think that it's, you know, he's the kind of player that, that could win finals MVP. The hardest part of him winning that award, I think, is is the Clippers getting to the finals. But, you know, they have enough of a chance that, it's not the craziest opinion, so I, I'm with you. I think that, uh, you know, I think it's reasonable to say that the, the Clippers could get there. Yeah, I, I, I don't feel reasonable for saying that Mike Wise is not crazy for picking them, but you know, one, I'm coming from a person. I, I don't root for the Clippers really. I kind of root against them. I'm not a Chris Paul fan. He is sort of dirty. I, I think Doc Rivers is full of it sometimes. That's fine. I respect those guys. I think Chris Paul's like the absolute best point guard in the NBA right now when you think about passing, offensive skills, defensive skills. And, you know, he he has a stigma right now on him about never making it past the second round. And it seems that if he stays healthy and if his if Griffin and DeAndre stay healthy and then really they sort of figure out their bench a little bit, you know, they can be they can challenge a team in a series. Um Again, it's tough to say because the one thing I appreciate, not the one thing, but one of the things I appreciate about the NBA is that more than not, you're crowning the best team as champion. It's not like, you know, baseball, you get hot pitching and hockey, you get a hot goalie, the NFL, just one game, NBA, seven game series, the better teams usually going to win. So I'm not sure that Paul and Griffin and Jordan have the sort of supporting class. Um, cast after those three guys to ultimately push them there. Right. Uh, so I would say it's less it's it's less controversial to say that he is crazy, but <laughs> I don't blame him for going in that direction because sometimes the more you think about it, I, one that's sort of Mike Wise's style. He's going to 
go off the beaten path sometimes. So uh, I would say knowing Mike Wise, it's not that controversial. Yeah, that's that's perfectly reasonable. And, I, you know, you mentioned sort of Chris Paul as being, you know, maybe the best point guard. I think DeAndre Jordan might be the best center. I know that there yeah. are a lot of good centers these days, but I, I think if you sort of look at contributions on both ends, you know, offense, defense, defensive rebounding, you know, just, you know, there's there's always going to be a knock on him as not being a shooter. But, I mean, I'd rather have a center that can't shoot than a center who can't do the things inside that they need to do, you know, protect the rim and get rebounds and things like that. I mean, I... Yeah, some you, centers you, that I want to talk amazing about. amazing at that stuff. Yeah. But I, I still think the, the hack of DeAndre thing is just something that can be such a distraction. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes a coach will keep him out the game from being from putting him in a situation where he might be embarrassed or, or just have to make clutch free throws. So that's a, that's a tough component to deal with him. Otherwise, I, I think you're you're on something. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I, it's, uh, you know, his inability to score in live play five feet from the basket doesn't concern me as much as the free throw is that free throw thing is uh kind of disconcerting maybe with the rule change then now that you can't do it in the last four minutes instead of the last two minutes maybe right that'll help him this year we'll see yeah true all right so i brought you on because i thought we could talk about the wizards uh the the hawks have a game with the wizards coming up this weekend and also just generally to talk about the southeast division so i thought we could just kind of go through the teams one through five maybe we can hold off on Atlanta and Washington right off the bat, maybe. But, uh, you know, what do you think about Miami, Orlando, Charlotte? And then I also, at the end, I want to hear, you know, how you would rank those teams one through five. So what do you think about, let's say, the Charlotte Hornets, if we take them first? Okay, so I think they're pivoting in, you know, obviously since you're giving up Jefferson, but you're also bringing Hibbert, who's kind of a stiff, and so they're, they're taking a chance on him. I think they gave up a lot to get Bellinelli. I can't remember what the exact trade was. Uh, they, you know, they filled in with ex-wizard Ramon Sessions, who, you know, for my money, has at least been the best backup point guard to John Wall since Wall's been in the league because they've, they've shelved. I could name a lot of guys they tried to put <laughs> behind Wall. Trey Burke isn't working out so far. Um, you know, Charlotte's sort of hard to – to measure, I, I, I think they're counting on maybe Marvin Williams to have another sort of career year again, which is, is not ideal, or maybe Spencer Hawes to, to fill in, you know, and Nick Batum to not have a drop off as he gets older. He's not that old, but yeah, I just don't have a lot, a ton of confidence in Charlotte, even though if MKG could stay healthy and sort of be this, this game-changing, disruptive player, kind of like a Kawhi Leonard with, without a jump shot um you know they they can they can bother some people but i don't see ultimately i'm not sure if charlotte's going to make the playoffs yeah i agree it's you know if i I look at that team you know michael kid michael kid gilchrist is so enticing because you know he's maybe one of five people in the whole nba that if you had a seven game series against lebron you'd feel kind of good throwing him out there against LeBron and saying, you know, do what you can defensively to slow him down. Definitely. At the same time, you know, you look at their roster, and like you said, you know, Marvin Williams had such a great season last year. Can he do it again, especially at his age? And Kemba Walker had a, had a great year. Nicholas Batum had a great year and a contract year. You know, it seems like they need a lot to go right. I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of intrigued by Hibbert just because I think that he fits what Steve Clifford does. You know, Clifford is like all about defense and defensive rebounding. He's not real big into pace. You know, he he seems like a a Steve Clifford guy, and so I think that might be a, a decent pairing there. But just overall, I think they're counting on too many guys to have repeat seasons that were some of the best seasons of their career. And so, you know, 48 wins they had last year. I mean, that seems that's a lot. That's a lot. 48's a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, I could see them going down a you know, a notch or two. Yeah. All right. How about Miami? What do you think about Miami? You know, it's funny. You know, not that long ago, Miami was almost pivoting to become a scary team. Like they got Dragic, um, you have Wade, Bosch, Whiteside, Winslow, sort of a rookie last year. You like, you think, can this team knock Cleveland 
off from sort of the, the East crown. And I think now they have just totally pivoted and they will be tanking. Look, you're starting Luke Babbitt and Dion waiters. Um, you know, I imagine they'll trade Dragic at some point during the season. Um, and then the, so the like weird thing with Chris Bosch and, and, you know, making him stay home, even though he wants to play and, and then they're just, I don't think they're going to even waive him until he is ineligible to make a playoff roster, which seems, you know, weird and petty and then losing Wade. I, I just think, uh, you know, maybe Pat Riley, this is all part of his devised plan to try to pivot quick tank and get good. Because if you look in the East now, like less teams are trying to tank this year than were, then in past years, of course, that could change sort of toward the end of the season when you know who's going to be bad. But maybe I think maybe Riley sees this as a situation to, you know, really push the reset button hard. So if you're if you're looking at anyone who would who might finish last in the Southeast Division, I would say Miami. Now the wild card is, you know, I still think Spolster is a pretty good coach and he can kind of get these guys to play well, but. Again, you're starting Luke Babbitt and Deion Waiters, so how good can it get? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much said everything I was going to say. <laughs> because, you know, when Pat Riley tanks, he tanks hard. You know, the the tank job that they did in the in the draft that in the build up to the draft in which they got Beasley was just nothing short of amazing. Some of the rosters yeah or some of the lineups that they put out there in the closing games of the season. And so, I, you know, I think that Spolster, if he has sort of free reign of the team, you know, he's got a point guard in Dragic, he's got a center in Whiteside, you know, if he just figures out which parts go around them, you know, they could, you know, their ceiling could be make the playoffs, and, you know, his ceiling could be win coach of the year because nobody expected him to do it with this roster. And at yeah. the same time, I could see Riley just sort of cutting him off at the knees trading some of those parts, especially Dragic, like you said, and then the bottom falls out. And so, I, yeah, I think that the Heat have the biggest window between, you know, what their ceiling and floor is. I think there's just so much variance in what could happen for them. No, that's that's a good point because, you know, that we've certainly, in the preseason, the Wizards played them in one game and they, they looked good, you know, on past just on paper. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens over the duration of 82 games. How about the magic? The magic. You know, I feel like they, like like sort of the Bucks. they're that up-and-coming team that you expect, you know, are they ready to take the next step? They have new coach, Frank Vogel, which, you know, really respected him in Indiana. But they, you know, they have a lot of talented players in some depth, but not a lot of star power, I guess. I mean, if you look at their bench, um, Basically, like you have Jeff Green, C.J. Watson, I think Biombo is coming off the bench, Jody Meeks, D.J. Augustine. Um, you know, you have several decent veterans coming off the bench when you're looking toward, you know, Eric Gordon and Ibaka and other guys coming who are starting. Um, I guess I guess Gordon and Fournier are considered their stars, and Ibaka is sort of a star, but is he ready to shoulder as much when he was sort of third fiddle? sometimes fourth fiddle in Oklahoma City. Um, So, I mean, I like what the Magic are working with. I think Alfred Payton is going to be maybe the next Rondo because he's also very afraid to shoot the ball. But I just don't know. I don't know if they'll take the step people think they might take this year, Uh, especially with the new coaches trying to get them to play hard. So I would say they they would be ranked fourth in the uh, fourth and the Southeast um, going up. I hear you. Yeah, I, I agree. It just seems like they have so many mismatched parts. Like I like the, the parts individually, almost all the parts. And I mean, I could get behind sort of a Biombo Ibaka front court. If they could, you know, get on the court together, healthy and get some chemistry. I mean, I think that could be really great, but then you have Aaron Gordon next to them and he's not really a small forward. They've got all kinds of shooting issues because, you know, Gordon, you know, maybe isn't a great shooter yet. As you mentioned, Peyton definitely isn't. Biombo obviously wouldn't be, and so that that would be kind of a mess. And then, you know, I've 
I've never been sold on Nikola Vucevic. I just, I think yeah. he sort of, I think he sort of skids by on what he, you know, he should be getting maybe half of what Ennis Cantor gets in terms of, you know, that bad reputation for not being a defender that's really competent at all. I just, you know, if you play him at center, your defense is pretty surely going to be kind of a mess. Yeah, I, I like the uh, I like the idea of liking Vujovic, uh, which it feels that feels like something that would come out of like a Jennifer Aniston movie or something like that, or, or Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> like, like I like the idea of loving you. Uh, yeah, I, I like the idea of loving Nicola, um, and and he has had some good games against the Wizards, definitely. Um, but I, I think he's he's sort of in that sort of weird balance like sort of like Jonas Valanciunas in in Toronto like you know he can score and do well can you keep him in on the court on other times because he kind of messes up and can you rely on him on defense uh so yeah maybe you're I think you're you're right about the sort of mismatched parts that Orlando might be right to make a trade or sort of figure out a team who wants to get rid of a star and and try to move assets that way I like Hazonia and and I like DJ Augustine even if they DJ Augustine even if they gave him too much money, it seemed like they gave him a lot. I I don't know. Yeah, but uh, it's an it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens, especially over the first few weeks. If you know if that sets the tone for them, it, maybe it won't be such a great tone. I don't know. So if you were going to rank the teams here, then one to five, how would you rate sort of the Southeast Division? Uh, Southeast Division. So I guess we started up uh, five with the Heat, uh, four with the Magic. I'm going to put the Hornets at three, and right now, uh, obviously, Wizards at two, but I'm not very uh, very bullish on that, and Hawks at one. I sort of agree. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little I, – I would say that the Magic and Heat are four and five, and – I could see the Heat being the fourth best team, but I'm going to put them fifth and and say that the Magic are four, say that the Hornets are three. And, you know, maybe three weeks ago I would have put the Wizards one, but I'm worried about their bench. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So I would put the Wizards two and the Hawks one. I was worried a little bit about the Hawks, but I'm I'm less worried about them now because Millsap looks really good. When he was, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when they were saying that he had a knee issue a month ago, I was like, ooh. Maybe their season isn't going to be so great, but he looks really good. And, you know, as he looks really good, they keep saying, well, his conditioning is going to come around soon. And it's like, wait, he looks really great already. What do you mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I think I would put it that way. All right. So pretty, pretty comparable. All right. So one of the other things I want to talk about was bench, bench substitutions and, and just overall looking at the benches of the Hawks and Wizards. And as a lead into that, I wanted to play this clip of Scott Brooks. And the question that I asked him was, you know, how do you pick one starter, you know, maybe one or two starters, and then how would you pick starters who would want to who you would want to play with a unit that was majority bench player? How do you pick a starter or two who's gonna get sort of heavy minutes with, with the bench, you know, with three or four bench players? I think it. I think that that's uh, every coach will have to go through that, and you, it's fluid. You have to see. Uh, you can have something in your mind. You can have a vision towards uh, what you're going to how your rotation is going to play out. But uh, until you actually do it in a game, uh, practice gives you some indications. But game uh, experience that you need. I think it's going to. Sometimes it takes you know seven or eight, ten games to figure that out. All right. So. What do you think about what Coach Brooks was saying there? Uh, I think he's diplomatic in his answer, partially because he's he's trying to figure it out himself. Now, traditionally, Bradley Bale has played more with the second unit because the Wizards have aimed to just get him reps with the ball, being a guy who can not only score but create for others or maybe create opportunities for himself just because he, of the threat that can he can create for others. Um, but right now the bench has been such uh, a mess in Washington that I think Brooks is willing to 
think about things a little bit differently. Like he has played a 10 man rotation so far and his bench players have generally been Trey Burke, Marcus Thornton, Kelly Oubre, Andrew Nicholson, and Jason Smith. And they, they just haven't performed well, but you know, the starters haven't either. So I think Brooks is looking to, you know, he had comments from practice today. I, I wasn't able to cover it, but he's looking to, I guess, mix and match a little bit more with his second unit. Maybe that means playing Thomas Sadoransky, um, their sort of rookie from the Czech Republic, more off the bench instead of Trey Burke or Thornton. Um, but it's it just, generally, I think Beal is the guy you would really turn to to say, hey, who who can we look to to help create off the bench? Because honestly, there's not a lot of other guys on the team who you would say like, oh, well, let's play, you know, Gortat off the bench with Beal or, or like, I mean, off the, off the, uh, off with the bench players. So um, Bill would be that guy, but Brooks is really trying to find other combinations about like which two starters or which two or three starters can play with some of the bench unit. So if we backtrack a little bit, um, what's Brooks's history in Oklahoma city? Did he sort of stagger Durant and Westbrook or did he take them both off the court? I mean, is that, is that sort of analogous to wall Beal? You know, you bring up a good question, and and maybe that's something because the the Wizards open their home their home openers tonight against Toronto. Maybe that's something I I can ask him just about how he how he saw that when he dealt with the Thunder because I I wasn't you know I didn't pay attention to him or I don't remember how they, how he did it that much, but I feel like a lot of times you know he'd really turn to Westbrook or really turn to Durant. And, and maybe that's a knock that Brooks has generally had about, about you know, had about his offense and that sometimes he just let those guys play isolation ball too much and he didn't have enough creative team offensive movement and people are wondering how that translates to the Wizards. Uh, so I would be interested to see more of his thoughts on, on staggering guys when he was with the Thunder. Yeah, he seemed... He seemed not to be too crazy about my question, and I don't know if it was because I was tripping over my words as I asked it or if it was maybe something that he'd been asked in Oklahoma City and he wasn't really fond of that question when it came up you know, a few years back. I kind of want to say that he did kind of take Westbrook and Durant off the court together instead of kind of keeping one on the court at all times, and maybe I can't remember if he came around to that late in his tenure there or not. All right, well... You know, what do you think about the the Wizards bench unit as the whole? Are you what do you think about Trey Burke specifically? Because when I look at the Southeast Division, I one of the things that I thought was sort of disappointing in the off season. In other words, let me backtrack a little. I thought a lot of teams made smart signings. You know, they all had cap room. They were players to be had, and I thought a lot of teams got a lot of the players that they need. But then the one part of free agency that I was a little bit sour on is I thought that. A lot of teams just kind of swapped backup point guards and gave them too much money. And, you know, the Wizards acquiring Trey Burke was not an inspiring move, in my opinion. But what do you think about it? You know, they got it for a pretty decently protected second-round pick. And we are talking about a former lottery pick. But there is a reason that Burke just didn't work out in Utah, and he fell out of favor. And even it got to the point where... The Jazz signed ex-Wizards second-round pick Shelvin Mack, and he played ahead of Burke. And so, yeah, you're right. It was an inspiring move. You, you talk about, you know, moving around point guards, how Ramon Sessions, we, we talked about earlier how he went to Charlotte. Um, you know, Orlando has, uh, you know, a couple guys who can back up C.J. Watson and, um, as you mentioned, D.J. Augustine. I just... You look at some situations, and we even look at the Hawks, where it's, I mean, who who even is their backup point guard? Well, that's the thing. Is they got Malcolm it, Delaney, but they they didn't give up much, and they didn't really have to commit much. And I suppose the Wizards didn't have to commit much either. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I guess if you look at other teams, you know, maybe they're worse off in backup point guard situations, but maybe not. And, and I I feel that the Wizards have underestimated considering walls coming off you know knee surgeries he he has a other you know tradition or history with injuries and they just always struggled to really field a competent backup to john wall i mean even you look at the knicks like you have 
Brandon Jennings is a wild card, but he seems like a, a someone who's worth the risk to at least back up Derrick Rose. And I'm just not sure Trey Burke is the guy who can, you know, you really want a guy who could run a team and play defense. And those are not his strengths. It seems like he's more of a scoring type of backup point guard, which is fine. But much of what the Wizards have preached all summer training camp leading up to now is how, you know, a new a new focus on defense. And when you look at Trey Burke and Marcus Thornton as the two guards coming off your bench, um, they are not defensive guards by any means. And so that just puts yourself – the team is just put in a tough situation when – especially when Ian Mahimi or Jan Mahimi, I should say, is has been injured. And so basically their best defensive player is out. They were counting on him, even if your best defensive player is actually your backup center. Uh, I just don't think the Wizards have aligned their, their roster and their bench to be that defensively focused team in certain regards. I hear you. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you make about Thornton you know it's one thing that Burke isn't a good defender but if you put somebody else there then you can't really even mix and match and say well you know we could do this for a few minutes you know and sort of say you know you guard here you guard here and and you know do some mixing and matching and put the stronger defender there is no stronger defender there between those two that's you know they're really both minus defenders in my opinion I like Jan Mahimi though that's that's a good point there too. You know, he's a guy that can clean up some of their mistakes. And so it's, I'm, I'm so excited about, you know, the wizard starters, you know, I think this can be a big year for Otto Porter, a big year for wall. And, you know, especially Beal. I like Markeith Morris, but I just look at that bench and I wonder if that's going to be a big limiting factor for them. Yeah, they, they might have to make a move. And, and you you know, the starters have played very well from last year to, you know, the, the few glimpses we saw of them this preseason. The one thing I'm concerned about is just building a defensive chemistry between Gortat and Morris. Um, I think when Chris Humphreys was the starting four last year, uh, he and Gortat were just not a good defensive combination. They, they could not get it going granted a lot of it starts with wall on Beal containing you know dribble penetration everything like that but I, I just think that Gortat is he's he's a smart defender he's good at position but sometimes he 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 just lacks a little bit of what you need from someone who's a big time stopper and, and Morris again he's a good one-on-one defender but some, in team schemes he doesn't always – he's not always in the right place or he just sort of loses focus. I mean, there's a couple of times where Gortat would go help on a dribble drive in Atlanta and or off the screen like a Howard would set, and then Morris would be right there next to Dwight Howard, obviously assigned to, like, fill in and maybe box him out. And he just sort of let Howard go right to the rim and get an offensive rebound. So it's like, what, what are you focusing on here? Um, so, you know, that's my big concern with the starters. But like you say, that the bench – other than Mahimi, who, you know, he was, you can argue that he was the best defensive center um, in the free agent class this summer. Of course, you had Whiteside, you had Biombo, but you can argue that Mahimi was the best defensive center of the free agent class. Signing him with Gortat was an interesting move, but it's funny how now, like, you know, the Wizards are, they're really, they, they act like they're really smarting because Mahimi, he, you know, he's hurt. He has knee surgery. He's going to be out till let's say, Thanksgiving or so. Um, it seems like they're really smarting because you're, you're missing this defensive player. But also, this is a guy who's been a backup center his whole career. He started in Indiana for the first time last season, averaged 25 minutes a game. So, and he's also foul prone. So it seems, you know, I think the Wizards could obviously really use his defense, but it seem, they seem over-reliant on him without having enough depth throughout the rest of the bench of, of players who are capable of defending. Well, maybe on a, a more positive note to end here, what, how close are Sadoransky and Ubre to being, you know, productive contributors, and what are their respective positions? Uh, Sadoransky is I've always thought of him more like a combo guy, but he's really developed as a one, and you know he is twenty five years old. 
they drafted him in the Bradley Bill draft in 2011. He was the second overall pick of the second round. So, of course, you know, in front of guys like Draymond Green and Jay Crowder uh, and even Chris Middleton. So, which, you know, Ernie Grunfeld, the Wizards team president, has caught flack for that. But finally, Sadoransky's over here. Um, they signed him to a very reasonable contract. I don't understand why he's not get, getting more minutes because even if Trey Burke or even Marcus Thornton, even if they're sort of more ready than Sadoransky, again, this guy's played in the best league outside of the NBA for the past couple years. He's of age. He's not like your standard rookie. You have to start playing him and getting him used to the NBA game because it's an investment. It sounds like from some of Scott Brooks's comments today in practice that you know the bench has been so unimpressive that uh, you know that he will. It's not. It's not a matter of if Sadoransky will play soon, but it's uh, it's about maybe when. Um, so it seems like he he. You know, we'll see. He, he's not a shooter. He's got to develop his shot more, although that has developed over his time in Spain. But he's really just a smart player who will, you know, who can kind of create passes for teammates or create space for teammates, but also box out. And, and he's he's athletic. He's 6'7". So I think he's a point guard that the Wizards have to consider bringing off the bench more now. Um, Ubre. You know, he is relentless on defense. He's got sort of an uncanny ability to steal the ball or to poke it away. It's not like, you know, Kawhi Leonard-esque where he's just taking it like candy. But um, he, he's really just a, a unique defender for a young player. I haven't seen anything like it, you know, with the Wizards ever since I've been watching him. Um, but he just got to calm down some. You know, he's capable of hitting an open three-pointer. He's capable of ta- attacking the basket. But sometimes he just is dribbling into two or three guys um, too many times. So he just has to n- pick and choose his battles a little bit more. I think he's still, you know, he's still very young for his age. And this is just his sophomore season. Um, he's still going to go through a lot of growing pains this year. But I think at least he will be doing that under, um, you know, he, he's – not guaranteed minutes, but he is part of the rotation. So he can play a little bit more confidently, unlike under, you know, Randy Whitman, where he might make a mistake and he might not play for a while and it might, you know, you might not understand why you're not playing. I think now he will have clear messaging from Brooks, who's known for being able to develop players a little bit more. He'll be part of the rotation. It, I think it'll just, he needs to still learn how to play at an NBA speed and let the game come to him. So, with um, when you talk about Sadoransky, he sounds a lot like the point guard that the Hawks are using this season, Malcolm Delaney, who's 25, you know, played at the top leagues in Europe, you know, won, won at all sorts of levels in Europe, and he's really more of a combo guard than a pure point guard. If if Sadoransky does, let's say, you know, you know, you said it was not a matter of if but when. If he gets into the rotation, is he going to supplant Burke? Is he going to eat into Thornton's minutes? Where do you think he would end up? Would you play sort of a, a almost like a two-point guard lineup there? You know, that's a good question because, you know, a lot of times they've gotten backup point guards to Wall with, you know, in mind that, okay, this guy can actually play next to Wall as well, which I think Burke can do. So I think – if I'm saying, you know, you, you want to try to develop Sadoransky and you feel that he's more of a point guard, I say try to get him in there and play next to Burke. Burke can still help penetrate and drive and facilitate. He can have his offense. And then Sadoransky can do some of the same thing. What, what I don't want to see, and, and I feel like, you know, a lot of people in the sort of Wizards Twitter have been picking on him a little bit too much, you know, myself included. But Marcus Thornton just isn't doing it for me. I mean, he just makes some boneheaded mistakes. He shoots air balls. He takes bad shots. It's, I understand if you have a guy and you, you think, okay, maybe he can be sort of like Jamal Crawford or some, some of the other guys who come off the bench and can get hot and really score. But Thornton is just – the shots he takes are so out of rhythm with the offense. I would, I would stick him to the end of the bench and play Sadoransky more with Burke. Yeah, when – when the Hawks and Wizards played the other day, and I think Corver got sort of a, you know, between quarter stint, either the first and second quarter, or third and fourth quarter, and they had him in there against Thornton, and they were using Thornton to guard Corver. And, you know, usually when I'm watching the games, I'm pretty quiet and don't say much, but I, I found myself just kind of audibly going, oh, no, don't do that out loud. 
that didn't seem like a a good pairing. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to the uh, to the Hawks Wizards game. I think it's a little bit of a weirdly, it's sort of a trap game for the Hawks because they got to go on the road between two home games, and the two home games are Dwight Howard's uh, exes, so to speak. So we got a game against the Lakers Wednesday, a game against the Rockets Saturday. And I wonder if, you know, with, with those two games uh, with sort of uh, high-name opponents at home, if that, that trip up to Washington on Friday is a little bit of a trap game, that, that, that might be a tough one. Well, you know, and it's funny that, you know, the word trap game is being used so early because the Wizards are now calling tomorrow's uh, or Wednesday's home opener against the Raps, Raptors a must-win game. Oh, no. Um, which is like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my God, it took three games before that's happening. Um, but, it, yeah, I think it's funny you're calling it a trap game. We'll see. I, I think the Wizards and the Hawks are still right to have a little bit of a rivalry if we're thinking about the playoffs from a couple years ago. I um, mean, you, know, you obviously had the, the incident with Wall and Bazemore on the court this past game uh, where Bazemore committed a flagrant foul on a fast break, um, which, you know, I have my opinions over that. Bazemore did not put himself in a good position, but I'm not sure Wall had to, like, you know, stutter step and time everything to dial up the dunk when he could have just gone for the layup. Again, you're right. coming off of two knee surgeries. Why are you dialing up the dunk? Um <laughs> But fine, yeah, I think he had the right to be mad at that foul, and I, I guess Bazemore tried to apologize and all that. But, you know, it feels like these teams have, um, you know, a little bit of chippiness in them. So I'll be I, – I think it'll be interesting to see how the Wizards respond, knowing that, you know, they'll still need every, – every game is a must-win for them, I feel like, and uh, they'll still need to, to give, have a good showing to show that, you know, Atlanta's not as dominant as that fourth quarter proved to be. Yeah, that that's an interesting point about the chippiness. Wasn't Wall saying that it was going to be a chippy game before it even started, like in the days leading up to it? Yeah, I, you might be right. Again, maybe it's going back to that, that that playoff series. But again, these are teams that play each other several times a year. I feel like you know, the, the Wizards and Hornets have had some chippiness in some of their games just because you're in the same division with teams and you're still you're going to face them so much. Yeah, I was just surprised. You know, you don't usually hear that before game one when everybody's undefeated and it's roses and tactics and how great everything's going to be for everybody. <laughs> I was like, right. wait, chippiness? Okay. And then, it, then it, of course, it ended up happening and it ended up involving Wall, not through any real fault of his own because he was just trying, well, I guess you said he dialed up the dunk, but, you know, he's pretty much just going out there on a fast break and oh my yeah <laughs> well we it'll be interesting see. well thank you very much for joining us and uh well, thanks for having me kevin it was, it was fun <laughs> all right man thanks very much all right take it easy see you